Welcome to the CMTK Amazing Podcast. Today, we are both actually joining the show, myself and my co-host TK Sivgin. We are joining the show from the motherland, the shores of the western Turkish Riviera. But I am with my extended family in Bodrum. And where are you, TK? Can you I am in... I am slightly farther up north in Foča, close to Izmir. Yes, yes. So we are both enjoying the heat wave, and uh, we just thought it prudent to just throw all caution to the wind and record a carefree summer special. And yeah. originally, we wanted to continue with the museums that made us, but because of the low internet connections, it would be a bit. Uh, difficult to go through the pictures yes and in fact i think uh, the weather is just so hot that in this 40 degree heat i can't think systematically so it will be better to wing it so how is summer going for you it's going, pr- it's going pretty well so far like i've been to the beach i've been mm-hmm. around the, just the city of focha Mm-hmm. And it's just all very nice. Has Focha been named after basically Foca, Foca as in yes, like, like seal? It, like when the Greeks used to live here, it was called Phokaia, yes. And mm. there's still, like there used to be far more in the past, but there still are some seals living on like the offshore islands. Mm-hmm, I see. Well, or is it about because there was also a Byzantine emperor or general named Phokas? Uh, maybe no, because no, of I that. think the, 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 the I think Phokaya is older than that emperor. Ah, okay. So I, my niece is here and he's showing me affection. Eh, say hello to our millions of listeners. No response. He's shy. Okay. There so. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm in a in the town of Bodrum, which as of late has become an overpriced, horrible clone of Istanbul. It's joked as being part of Istanbul, like one of the swankier districts. Thankfully, in his uh, wisdom, decades ago, my father um, got a summer place here, so we're holed up there. So don't don't you ever think that. I can afford to be in Bodrum at the moment. And on that segi, just let me remind everyone to dig into those pockets and support the CM Kozeman Extended Universe with me, myself and TK Sivgin. Uh, if you support me, you get to see lots of previously unseen works. And if you support TK Sivgin, what do they get to see? Uh, like works, works in progress of my art that I'm doing for my speculative evolution project. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Nice. So there, everyone. And let me tell you about my part of Bodrum and kind of dox myself in the meantime. So basically imagine the ancient Halikarnassos, which was, I think, one of the biggest uh, cities of the Hellenistic era until Alexander the Great like literally destroyed it and it never kind of recovered. So it's on a bay and there are like... Well, then, if you, wait, if you want to be technical, the, the Hellenistic era only starts with Alexander the Great. Like, oh, okay. So it's the, the era of like, Greek city-states just before that, I think. Yeah. 
Oh, well. All right, so imagine that place, but imagine a couple of more adjacent bays. There used to be this, uh, again, Greek seaside township called Pedisa, and lo and behold, after a lot of time and some population exchange, it has become the Turkish town of Bitez, which is where I am broadcasting from now. Just let me cue our listeners here. If you guys are writing or listening to us from any holiday place, just give a shout out, dox yourself so we see who's lucky enough to afford a holiday in this day and age, and basically where you are and how you're doing. So that's a side note. I don't know. For me, summer holidays in the uh, Turkish Riviera always mean bugs and reptiles and stuff. And every night I go out with a lamp and just look at the weird, weird critters I find. Do you do you do some uh, field trips too in your part? Yes, sometimes. Like close to where I live, there are um, like some old tombs, and I want. And for the mm-hmm. longest time, I wanted to explore them, but I still haven't gotten to it yet. Oh. Um, apart from that, there's like a bunch of critters all the, around the house. You like we, like I showed you, we found this gecko that I mm-hmm. like. I kept it in a jar for a few days, then I let it out again. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. you you released it, huh? Yes. And the, I, there's also like these like camel spiders, which I just oh fuck, those hate. are great, man. You're so lucky. I hate them. They they're fucking scary. <laughs> Do they attack you or something? That's they, they haven't attacked me, but they look like the fucking predator. I'm sorry. Oh. Like you are one ugly motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> In Predator 2, famously, uh, the creature itself says "motherfucker," which is like, <laughs> yeah. Actually, like, I don't know. I envy you, man. I really like those. Let me tell you of a formative memory with geckos, by the way. So. By the way, actually, I am also filming lots of travel adventures in this here town. And if you stay tuned on this channel, I will in due time release them too. But so imagine I was like eight years old and my parents have been bringing us over here for a long, long time. And I was like eight years old and we were staying at a hotel. How could I forget this place? The name is Hotel Eucalyptus. And... One day, I remember just opening a door, and in the wall behind the door, there was a pink lizard. Now, it felt like a revelation, because before this, I had only seen pink lizards in books. And for the first time, I was confronted with an animal that I knew from books, but it was real. And turned out, it turns out it's like the most common vulgar form of gecko, the common... Uh, it's so common in this part of the world that it's even named after Turkey. Hemidactylus yeah, like Hemidactylus or something. Hemidactylus Turkicus. And then I made it my mission in that holiday to catch one. And remember, I was like eight years old. So I remember my knees were trembling at the sight of these lizards, which I would experience again in in slightly less than 10 years when I was about to have my first uh, carnal encounter with women and it was that same kind of excitement but back then I had no sense of like hanky-panky I was just a kid 
just an innocent baby with like no hints at the so that gecko forces. Took your, <laughs> so that gecko took your lizardine virginity. I don't know. I don't know. But I like remember like in the hot nights spending days and days trying to catch these animals. And finally I caught one and it felt like such an accomplishment. And I was so like giddy that I kept it in like a plastic bottle for a couple of nights, but then released it. But then you know, it felt like I could make nature mine. And it was that kind of, so it was like the start of a, lifetime of interest in like bugs and reptiles wherever I went basically but you just said it reminds me a lot of a book I'm reading right now um, it's called the uh, a history of ancient Egypt by John Romer and there is like one chapter where he discusses uh -huh. the Neolithic revolution and mm -hmm. says like I think it's comic <laughs> no, it's a oh. <laughs> My my little niece has bumped her head, but that's cute. It's okay. It's a very, very informal podcast. This is the background, a slice of life. Take your time. You you can stay here. Okay. Okay, so going like back was, at your book. Yeah. So like there is a chapter where he discusses the Neolithic revolution. And I think be, by now it's like a common fact that... Uh, Neolithic people actually had worse health than Paleolithic people. Yes. Like farmers had to do more work than hunter-gatherers, and because they lived more closely with animals, they also had like more zoonotic diseases and such. And mm -hmm. so, of course, it begs the question, why even make the change? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the book, he argues that it was less about food security and more because people liked the power of ha having like an influence over their environment finally like yes able to change like the the face of the nile delta with their agriculture yes i think you even feel this in a lot of cases especially like if you live in cities where there are a lot of people who started life in the rural parts of the world farming and like basically dealing with farming stuff and then moving to cities you see like they really like admire and own up to things which we city raised slickers kind of find like uh silly like they really like for example having a clean apartment they really like concrete for some reason because there's no dust and i think in our in our position well like i was born in an apartment block you know we kind of like romanticize nature, but if you live within that whole shebang and like deal with farming every day and like scrape the manure of the cows and then move to the city, you kind of become like, oh, I'm never going to touch the earth again. I don't know. I think everybody kind of wants to move beyond where or how they grew up. So there is that. Mm, I don't know, like. You know, I've been living my whole life in the same village and it's uh, pretty rural here, like very green and such. There's like cows and uh, donkeys right next to my house where I've grown up. And honestly, every time I go to like a big city like Zurich, I hate it there. Because there's uh, just so many people and they all look so fucking unfriendly. <laughs> 
Like, man, if Zurich robs you the wrong way, <laughs> Istanbul with 20 million maniacs, it's a whole other story. I don't but know. I, think, I mean, I, it's been very long since I've been to Istanbul, but I have more fond memories of Istanbul than I do of Zurich. Well, I think people smile more here in yeah, the city. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. Oh, well. Oh, well, I mean, these cities, towns and tastes, they're like a whole other discussion. Like, um, so what was your first memory with uh, seeing a reptile or like one of those animals you really like? Oh. You say you hate, you say you hate these sun spiders, but they really look a lot like some creatures you are drawing for your project Hard Assure. Yeah, because I am unoriginal. No. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, like they, like I like uh, looking at arthropods from a distance, but once mm -hmm. they're actually in my house, I get a little freaked out. Ooh! Did you ever also get the big, big ass scolopendra centipedes? Sometimes. Oh, no, I haven't seen those yet live. Like some of the most, I'm just gonna interrupt for a second, but some of the most, like, uh, let's say. Some of the most, like, some of our, my friends, not going to name any names, they're probably not listening, with more money than sense, they had this, like, epic encounter. So they were, like, once again going to a summer place in, in the south of Turkey, and they had a little dog with them. And middle of the night, the dog starts barking like crazy, 3 a.m. or some shit. And then they go, like, Turpy, what's down there? And suddenly it's like, it's like one of these scolopendra centipedes. No. If you don't know what this is, this is like, imagine a centipede as long as your forearm. It's actually quite harmless. I've been bitten by one, actually. You just get a Mickey Mouse hand and one day later, you're all right. But okay. So they were... Oh, goofy, yeah. I've been bitten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's a whole other adventure, by the way. So the dog battled with the centipede until 5 a.m. And they killed it by like hitting it with a shovel or something. And then this is why I say they had more money than sense. They contacted a local quote unquote exterminator who not only like fumigated the whole house, but he also like spread um, sulfur around the garden. Apparently, I mean, not only does it keep demons away, but there's a common folk belief here that it also keeps snakes and venomous critters away. I think it's a holdover from the Roman days, to be honest. So this motherfucker, if were, like... If it were, they would have also salted the field so that nev nothing could grow ever again. If, if he offered it to them, they probably would have taken it up because they, they, the guys spread like sulfur around the garden and just like did some sort of spraying action. And then for this, he charged them the equivalent of like $2,000. And fuck, I mean, like, not the feeling that fool and his money are soon parted. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, isn't it, wouldn't it be cheaper to just get like, like a cat or something? Like, you know, like a pet that hunts smaller animals. I don't know. Like them around the house. These are like city people. So they're also like. I mean, you and I, we understand, like, if you saw a big centipede in the house, like, I would, like, I know how to capture it, throw it out. 
okay, if it, if you're really scared, maybe you have a kid or something. I think it's like in your God-given right to uh, painlessly kill it too. Okay, but you and I would know that spraying poison has no effect on the centipede. The poison just like DDT just works for smaller insects like mosquitoes or flies. And sulfur, it's just like, I mean, you're better off drawing a pentagram in the ground, huh? But like the way these like exterminators, they must have laughed all the way to the bank. And there are so many stories like this. Like I know another person who runs a nature and sustainability team podcast out of all places. For some reason, his wife has a phobia of frogs. And like they went on a like nice getaway vacation to like some fancy bungalow hotel. The day, the night they arrive, the wife sees a little toad on the doorstep, and then vacation canceled. They moved to the Sheraton Hotel. A good thing they didn't kill the frog. At least there's that much. But they, they, the whole vacation because of one toad in front of the door. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, like what the fuck. Yeah, apparently the lady had like a, a real, I mean, compulsive, like she was worried that the frog would come over and like put its tongue in her ear or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like breaker, breaker toast for not paying the money like loan shark. I don't know. Like, again, like some, some people are like, like, I know people who are like scared of pigeons and birds, like and walking around the town like another formative memory so like by the way if you're one of these people in the like infinitesimally unlikely incident that you are listening to this podcast please mean that like we are talking about these things but i mean you know ill will i mean i'm scared of jewelry so you know different fears yeah. but my mother uh, my mother has a phobia of butterflies oh See, so it works in different ways. Why though? Like, and how does it manifest? I, I think, I think because she wants so like an image of like a butterfly head close up, and they do a look. They do look a bit gnarly when you really look at them closely, with like their proboscis and the weird feelers. Yeah, that's basically but I, like. But I also never really got it because I mean, butterfly is like that's like when people that's like the the archetype of a beautiful insect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I understand. I think maybe the frog phobia comes from this place too, that you're worried that this animal has an extensible mouth part and it's going to, like, do things to you. I don't know. I mean, for some people, that's a kink, but I guess it works both ways. I remember, like, it was like when I first started work in an advertising agency. So they paired me up with this, like, I mean not quite an attractive like nice uh, lady like she was really pretty and so like i work with her like for a couple of weeks basically she's the graphic designer i'm the copywriter i write some horoscope shit and she like designs some like horoscope stuff for that and it's all for like a brand of chewing gum that horoscope stuff yeah the the so... chewing the chewing did gums, you do like actual astrological work or did you just write whatever? No, I just like, I just looked at previous week's horoscopes. I actually jumbled the, so if it was for Taurus, I put it into Pisces, vice versa. And then I like kind of like 
put some creative spin on it, like saying like, so if it was saying money is coming, I said like, maybe you will develop an exciting new product or something like this. And it was aimed for college students. So I was like, someone you love will give you pocket money or something like that. So the whole premise of the brand actually was, uh, it's this thing called Falum, the the chewing gum that has uh, fortunes in it. So we were doing ads for it, like branching out into horoscopes as well. So anyways, it's like eh, working side by side. But I don't think like I even registered on a radar, to be honest. But like sooner or later, we started going out to uh, dinners together. No, no, not dinners, lunch breaks together. And like on the way to one lunch break, we were passing this square and it's like if you know a bit about Turkish cities, there's these squares with pigeons all over the place and people feed them and shit. So right there, she like grabbed my arm and buried her like nice dusky face into my shoulder basically. I was like, oh, my time has come at last. But suddenly I realized that she was saying, oh, get away from me. Get them away from me. I'm like, okay, maybe it's not what I think it is. Turns out she had a horrible fear of birds. And I was like, it's, is this okay or whatever? And then I asked her, like, so, like, why, why do you fear? And, like, her response was very strange and very specific. She was worried that, like the the lady, other lady with the frog coming up to her ear and, like, going like so she was worried that the pigeons would get on her hair and their clothes would be entangled in her curls or something like this so i don't know like sounds, you're not you're not passing any like something so sorry it sounds like something that maybe happened to her when she was a child i don't know i don't know have you asked her that I don't know, like, I didn't go that deep, like, I don't, I didn't intend to get any weirder by, like, uh, clumsily trying to psychoanalyze my coworkers, but, but I think she also said, like, this whole mass of flapping wings and stuff, it kind of triggered her too, I don't know, I don't know. Is there an animal that you would say you have an, a somewhat irrational fear of? Hmm. I think not. I don't know. Like I've been attacked by dogs. I've I've tried to catch centipedes. I've been bitten by like big spiders. But I have like some basic rules. For example, if I see a rat or another muskid and any other relative, it's just no touch zone for me. Same with snakes. Like unless I'm 100% certain it's a non-venomous snake, I won't even like bother to touch it like just leave it alone like give it a wide bubble you know so i mean i have i think like rules of engagement for different creatures i'm sure you do too like i don't know care yeah. to name a few like like i have like a weird relationship with arthropods like mm -hmm. like spiders maybe crabs and like mm -hmm. Like crickets and stuff like I hate being touched by them 
Ooh. Well, it depends. Like those, there's like these really tiny spiders that are like hairy and they have big eyes. You know, like almost like puppies. Like th- those are fine. Jumping spiders. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are cute actually. But like daddy long legs and such. Like those give me like the the shivers. <laughs> like those. But the funny thing is, like uh, I have no problem with like bees or wasps. When mm. even when they land on me, because I know oh, if I just stay still, they won't hurt me. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's the funny thing. Like we actually had like a wasp nest on our balcony back in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And what I did is I just I wanted to read a book in the sunlight, so I just went on the balcony on the on the reclining chair and sat there next, right, almost right next to the wasp nest, and I just read my book. I didn't do much and. I think they like acclimated to me and they didn't bother me at all. You're the wasp whisperer. Well, that's true though. I mean, like, I mean, the only time I've seen wasps attack people was like if you're next to their nest, basically, or accidentally. Like, I remember this happened. This actually happened in the same hotel where I first saw the gecko. Hotel Eucalyptus. Come for the dreams, stay for the memories. Okay, so what happened was like... Stuffed only by koalas. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's another weird name, by the way. Let me go another side-side tangent. In this part of the world, in your part too, eucalyptus trees are like endemic. Did you notice that? They have become endemic. Yeah, they're like, they're like forests of eucalyptus. But they're Australian I trees. Realized- I just fucking realized I don't actually know what a eucalyptus re- really looks like. Oh, like you have to check it out and also look around in western, southwestern Turkey at some time. I don't know. Somebody introduced eucalyptus trees. I've actually researched this. Like they either say it was like some British person or they say it was the Ottoman Empire did it because eucalyptus trees are apparently good for draining malaria inducing swamps. So now they're so common that you even have hotels named after them. And it's just one, one big mystery. But at Hotel Eucalyptus... I'm I'm looking at pictures of them right now. Yeah, I've seen those plants around here, yes. Yeah, yeah. So quite bizarre, actually, when you get to think about it. So what happens is that um, one morning at Hotel Eucalyptus, one of my our parents' friends uh, just got up, held holding her mouth, and went like so so there. And turns out she had actually swallowed a wasp, and she was allergic to it. And like they oh, took no. her to yeah they took her to the ER, and like she was in the hospital, almost died. They actually punctured her windpipe because her tonsils were so swollen she couldn't breathe. So wasps, everyone. <laughs> oh, God. So like that's yeah one group of animals I have a tensioned relationship with, and other th- thing I have like a phobia of is like sea animals with tentacles, you know, like jellyfish, squids, Ooh. and stuff. That that gives me the the heebie-jeebies or whatever you want. <laughs> okay, well I think. Another one of my rules of engagement are for octopi. Like in theory, I would love I love those animals when they touch me, when they walk around like and like the whole tentacles and stuff. I, I like it. I like that. 
But these animals also have a very big and painful beak in the middle of all those tentacles. So I always worry that if I touch an octopus, it's going to wrap it around my forearm, wrap its arms around my forearm, and just puncture my artery, like like a stapler, and then I'm going to bleed to death. I think that's like as irrational as I get. I mean, there's there's more irrational fears around octopi because, you know, they can like squeeze through any hole that's even slightly larger than their beak. So in theory, if an octopus really wants to, it could crawl up your ass asshole. Oh, well, there are already fish that do that with sea cucumbers. <laughs> they, they call but them pearl fish. But there, you know? there it is consensual. I don't I, like most people outside of Japan. I don't think want an octopus up their ass. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, I have no idea, man. <laughs> it's not, that that I, sounds like you're in denial. Um, no, I mean... You're being, you're being pretty suspicious right now, if you reply. No, no, no. Like, if an octopus is going to pass through my digestive system, it has to be from the right way down, basically, as a nice chopped-up dish of calamari or uh, frutta del mare salad, which I really like shamefully. Because I know octopi are like really sentient animals, but actually the trepidation trepidation I you sense in my voice is uh, empathically not because I'm a secret octopus fetishist, but it's because I just like the way they taste so much and I, I can never eat them without a little sense of guilt. So there. I generally don't eat much seafood when I think about it. Like I most, I can like I eat fish, but mm-hmm. I just don't like like crustaceans and calamares. Ooh, ooh, I, I I like them so much. They're like all the taste of fish with none of the bones. Mm-hmm. Really, really nice. For stuff. me, they, they're maybe maybe I've all, always been to like bad bad restaurants that serve them, but for to me, they're always a bit too. Like gummy, you know, like like too elastic to bite into. Well, if you eat it in Switzerland or I'm ashamed to say in Turkey, they're actually extremely bad at cooking them. There's only one place that does this right and it's Greece. Maybe Spain being a second runner, but I don't like their whole thing I imagine too much. in the Caribbean, they're also very good at it. I don't know. Because they're like crabs for them are like a national dish. In the Caribbean, actually, they may not be able to hunt octopi as often as they do here because there are not oh, as yeah, many like, not, rocks. Not octopi, like crustaceans, like that kind oh, of yeah. I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Once again, like, we have to ask our listeners in the area about, like, if you know any good Caribbean seafood dishes that don't contain fish but do contain invertebrates, please let us know. All right. By the way, this whole, like, discussion evolved from me asking you about a formative encounter with animals and critters so let's get to that yes but yeah what was the question like when was the first time i encountered like an, a special animal that was your question right yeah yeah like it could be a lizard snake anything like how did it go for you like my pink uh, gecko memory from hotel like, eucalyptus like i in Switzerland, I live very close to a river called the Limat, and there's like sections where the water is very shallow, and you just can walk into the river. 
And they were mm -hmm. always like these little baby fish. I think they were babies. Mm -hmm. And I always tried to catch them. And I always came up with some bizarre ass methods, but it never worked. Like, for example, I once dipped like a, an umbrella into the water and wanted to close it very quickly. So mm -hmm. like basically like a, make, like a makeshift automatic fishing net, but it never worked. They were always too fast. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, man. <laughs> Neat. Oh, what and, else? I... And in school, we once raised uh, like tadpoles, like like tadpoles Ooh. all the way until they were frogs. Yeah, I did that That's a nice too. Project. That's really fun, actually. One thing I could never get is like with tadpoles, if you see them in the wild, they're like mature in the sewer. But if you're keeping it at home, unless you keep it in like the purest drinking water they die so i had to like change their water every day with drinking water they don't need a lot of water to be honest but it just has to be fresh every day i think it's because in the wild the water just circulates you know yeah like maybe maybe a constant input and a constant output which is hard to simulate in an aquarium but sometimes no actually they breed in like the most stale ponds and stuff like that i mean I want so tadpoles. Then maybe it's just like the right microbiome that exists in the wild that is hard to replicate. And that could be it. That could be it. Or maybe they're at a late stage where they can breathe air. I don't know. But once I saw like froglets coming out of basically a muddy tire track and they just matured there all the time. Who knows? What even they, do they eat there? I can never tell. Like weird, weird frog stuff. They're powered by pure gasoline. They're road frogs. You know how they you know how there's like <laughs> road hawks? Those are road frogs. I don't know. Like I mean I it's like old adage, like life finds a way, and I think they're like doing something that we just don't know how to replicate. And anyways, but I mean to my credit, I also raised a lot of froglets, and when they became like little small men basically, I released them into the undergrowth and I like to pretend that some of them matured and reproduced and like I was like I mean uh cue the violins from Schindler's List, you know, I could make one difference. <laughs> oh god, Schindler's List. I recently watched the, the movie Downfall again. Do you know that one? Oh, the one about the like Hitler's last days in the bunker. Yeah, yeah, the famously memed film, yes. Yeah. I was surprised uh, to find out that the guy who played Hitler was actually Swiss. Ooh. I think no German would step up to it. Yeah, or no Bruno, Austrian. Yeah, Bruno Ganz was the name of the actor. And he mm. did a really good job. That was a nice movie. I also recommend, like, uh, the historian Anthony Bevor, I think the name. Let's see. B-E-E-V-O-R. And it was called... Berlin, the downfall, it's like a really nice and sort of like a non-sensational book about like those few last days of, the few last months of the Third Reich and it's like really, the, really grim reading. But wasn't the movie partially based on that book? I, I think I remember reading something like that. Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I, it could be and I just don't know. So, So there, yeah. 
Oh, what did I watch so, recently? Uh, the last Guardians of the Galaxy film was surprisingly go- good. Like, I still haven't watched that. I mean, I went to it wanting to hate Marvel films because some of the last few were like awful. But I think it did a better case for like better case arguing anti-vivisection points of view than Jurassic Park itself, the last Jurassic World movies in the least. It was really sad. Like in some parts, like I cried. Bizarre, like it really plays with your emotions. And the last Spider-Verse movie was extremely good. Like the animation, the storyline, every frame is like, a great work of digital art somebody made, so really recommend it to our viewers. I know what else did you watch, man? Uh, right, just recently I was in the cinema to watch the new Indiana Jones. Oh, that was really good too. The Dial of Destiny, right? It was really great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was much better than the Crystal Skull one. Yeah, I mean, much- I actually liked that one too, but yeah, I would say it was even better than that. Yeah. I, I really like the way they wove in all those uh, little plots and bits about, uh, for example, Archimedes' tomb actually was like a search relic at one point. And Harrison Ford really owned up the acting, you know. He was an old broken man and not a, like, not a, like, dressed up old man. Like, he had his weaknesses, that was nice. And they really work. Really, he just really loves playing that role. I think like that's yeah. like much more than Han. Like when you when in interviews when he's like asking about Han Solo, he's like really annoyed. But Indiana yeah. Jones, he loves playing that character. I think that's like his true passion to play Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. So well, I mean the way also the way he handles the, the way the way they handled the disappearance of what's his name. Shia LaBeouf from the last film. Oh, yeah. They really worked it well. So, spoilers. Basically, one of his... His son was Shia LaBeouf. And because after the Crystal Skull, Shia LaBeouf became an untenable actor, basically. He kind of went off the deep end. He just became like a crazy art person and was generally disagreeable. And then, basically, he was... Turns out he was super abusive towards his girlfriends oh. or something like that. I completely missed that. Yeah, so he was like doing this like cringy, this cringy artworks, this kind of like weird anti-Trump activism. But behind that, he was like a, a basically an abusive asshole. So, so oh, okay. yeah. So anyways, in the Indiana Jones universe, turns out, he went to the Vietnam War and died, and because of that, Indiana Jones is sad, and like, I don't know, that was really well worked onto the story. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it also ties into the theme of the movie with like time travel and such, and like the regrets people have. Yeah. I, thought, I also thought they did that very, they handled that in a very smart way. The way they showed the Siege of Syracuse was amazing, and like oh, you yeah. could really yeah. see. Oh, that's also another major spoiler. Like, like if you like, like people who still want to watch the movie, you should probably like skip ahead five minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. But what were you gonna say about that scene? Yeah, I might. I mean, it's just 
Like it, it came a bit out of left field. Like I legit didn't think they would go really go time traveling, but they did, and it, it's pretty amazing. I think it's just so fitting about mm-hmm. in the movie series about an archaeologist because yeah. it's all about like exp- like trying to experience the past as it may have been, and then he literally does it. Yeah, yeah. In the movie. Yeah, I mean, they really apparently consulted some historians and. It doesn't look like a Game of Thrones version of history. It really looks like how that thing may have happened. So, so that was really nice. Also, kudos for speaking actual Greek and casting like Mediterranean-looking actors for the role of Archimedes. I think that I read that the guy who played Archimedes is like half Iranian, half American. Well, that's basically uh, Greeks of the time. So there, yeah. So, also, I really like that like in the movie, the plot device is this kind of device that can help people travel through time. But I really liked that it was not a kind of like magic device, but it yeah. was actually like a boring clock that could tell you where this... I literally have something like this right here. Ooh, the antiquitaria like... mechanism. Uh, it's just like a little dial that, like, if you know the the year and the month you're in, you can just see the, the date of the day. I see. I see. Well, actually, I mean, we could talk an entire episode about Antikythera mechanism. And yeah, like... because many people may not know this who watch the movie, but that thing actually existed. Like, we have that yeah, in a yeah. museum. It, it, and... it didn't, uh, like, predict, like rifts in time but it was literally like an ancient computer if you yeah, yeah if it was call it that yeah quite ahead of its time apparently people were just really good at making these things back in the day and who knows it was like a mm, hellenistic iphone kind of thing but i mean yeah i think <laughs> it what did it predict i think like the phases of the sun and the moon like it was like a calendar calculator i believe yeah and people use that for navigation apparently there's a long history of those devices like one of the pioneers of british early computers he built these like mechanical analog clocks that could predict tides like he set, he factored in the volume of the sea and he had gears factoring in the phases of the moon and it was like Watching those things in operation, it's like really magical because there's no processing time. As you set it, you get the answer. So that's really cool. Yeah, they want to, you know, like um, like NASA actually wants to tr- wants to make an automaton and send it to Venus mm-hmm. because like the planet, the surface of that planet is so hot that like mm-hmm. conventional electronics don't work. They would fry. So figure out like an like an analog technology out of like material that can withstand the heat and that is yeah, somehow yeah. can send signals back to earth and yeah. i think they're they're holding a contest to see how like ideas that people can, can come up with Ooh. yeah i mean we are so locked into our digital version of things that you know sometimes there are solutions there are problems that require different solutions and I always like this kind of out-of-the-box thinking. By the way, uh, I think it's my niece's lunchtime or like basically they were just kind to us and they left the room. But poor baby is like frying out there and he wants to come back in. And 
So because of this, I'm going to call it an early episode. We've been recording for an hour. Yes. But any any last things you want to add, my friend? Uh, go watch the new Indiana Jones. It deserves it. Yes, yes. If possible, do a back-to-back with the new Spider-Man. That's also great. And I really like this like lazy shooting the shit kind of thing. Wherever you are, I hope you're having a great summer vacation. And thanks for giving us the time. And we can record another episode pretty soon. I'm here for like another week at least. So that would be nice. So, so there. Yeah. Have a nice day. And thanks to everyone for listening. And please support TK and myself on Patreon. You know, every dollar really makes a difference, especially in these cash strapped days. If you donate to us enough, you can even we can even go watch Indiana Jones again. And I don't know. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks, my friend. Have a nice day. <laughs>